want you to imagine that you have one child, a uh, beautiful daughter whose life reflects her deep love for Christ. And you and your wife work for a, a well-known Christian organization offering the help and hope of the gospel and seeing every day as an opportunity to encourage and to love others. And then you get that phone call that is every parent's nightmare. Your only child, 17 years old, has been in a fatal car accident. Then fast forward 20 years and you learn in a period of about 11 months from beginning to end that your wife is diagnosed with and eventually dies from Lou Gehrig's disease. In all of this great anguish, you're left alone. The question is, how would you respond? I'm Chuck Betters, and you are listening to a Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And today, I'm talking with a friend, Ellis Goldstein, who has walked this very path. How does a human being experience this kind of anguish and find a way to live life with purpose and even joy? Ellis, welcome. It's great to have you. Uh, I am so sorry to hear about the loss of your dear wife. So why don't you tell us about yourself a little bit about what you're doing, a little bit about maybe some of your family history, and then we'll we'll press on with, with the story of, of these horrible losses you've experienced. Thanks for wanting to, to know more about what happened with Heather and, and, you know, especially with Colleen. I am on staff with an organization known as CREW, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. For the past 29 years within uh, my ministry, I oversee the support development of all of our American missionaries. Now, CREW is, as I remember, Campus Crusade. That's a Christian organization, but you're Jewish. Yes. How did you come to Christ as a, as a Jew? Well, my background is, is that I grew up in South Philadelphia, pretty typical in terms of you know, when I got to a certain age and would prepare for my bar mitzvah. And like many other of my friends, went to uh, Hebrew school, you know, after public school. And so here I was as a, as a young kid in school from, you know, 8 or 8.30 in the morning and then go off to Hebrew school and get home about 6.30. And, you know, during that time, Chuck, in the beginning, it was, I was really excited about learning things about, about Judaism, learning Hebrew, Really, what the focus was was to prepare for my bar mitzvah. And what was was interesting is is that as I prepared for my bar mitzvah, the cantor of the synagogue gave me, as they gave to all the boys and girls who had a bas mitzvah, it was just a record of the part I would have in the service, and I had to memorize it. And what was really different was is that in a synagogue service, the different portions of the Bible are are chanted to a melody. And Sarah was at 13 years old trying to learn to do that. And I'm so glad that my voice wasn't changing at that time. So the sad part is, is that there's two parts that I had to memorize. The first part was from the Torah. There was a, a portion of the five books of, the Mo, of Moses that I would read, and then from the Haftor, the prophets. And during the whole time that I was preparing for my bar mitzvah, not one time did the teacher or the rabbi ever explained the whole purpose of this. And it was just going through this ritual. 
And so I you know, went through the ritual of my bar mitzvah. My family, of course, was excited about it. And like most children, I continued to go to Hebrew school for probably another year after my bar mitzvah, and then this continued doing that. For me, I was pretty insecure as a child. And so I was just looking for something that would give me some sense of meaning and purpose. And so when I went off to Penn State, where I majored in architecture, I really just settled in complacency. But I'll never forget, I was walking across campus, and there was this, back in the late 60s, early 70s, there was this caricature of Jesus, and it was in a wanted poster. And so I saw this wanted poster said, Jesus wanted, and my response was, I don't want him. But later on, I ended up going to a meeting that was in my dormitory, and it was, it was called How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. I wasn't interested in spiritual things. I wasn't interested in, in, in Christianity at all. As a Jewish person, I was just sort of repelled by Christianity. But here I was, I went to the small meeting in my dormitory just for a study break, which made no sense why I went to it. And there was the first time that I ever heard somebody talk about a real, what it meant to have a relationship with God through Jesus. And somebody shared how you can know Christ in a personal way. And I responded pretty arrogantly, Chuck. I wanted nothing to do with it. But over the next five months, I met off and on with one of the men on campus. And he began to take me through portions of the uh, Old Testament that I was not familiar with. We would look at passages which predicted the coming of the Messiah. I really didn't understand it. I did get to a point after about five months where I could agree that there was a supernatural and that, okay, that if Jesus uh, had risen from the dead, but there was no real understanding of its connection to me. Then I went to another meeting on campus. And there was about 100 students. And during the first part of this meeting, which was pretty informal, students would stand up one at a time. We're just sharing some of the things that God was doing in their lives. And then all of a sudden, I understood it took less than a second, and then all of a sudden it just fell in place. I understood that Jesus was my Messiah, mm. and at that moment I had tr- I trusted Him as my Messiah. Was this a campus crusade meeting? Yeah, it was. It was a it was a student meeting by crew, and I felt compelled that I needed to be the next person to stand up and to tell people what I had done. And so I did. And I said, I trusted Jesus as my Messiah. I sat down, the room was silent, and my palms were sweating. And the first thing I thought was, what have I just done? Later on, I came across a little book that was called, What's a Nice Jewish Boy Like You Doing in the First Baptist Church? Mm. And, uh, and I sort of, I guess I felt like that. But over the next few months, I began to grow in my, in my new faith. I uh, came to understand the Bible. I thought, well, what was encouraging was that now when I would read the Bible, it made sense to me. Is that before when I had studied it in Hebrew school, it was just studying about the Jewish people. There was no sense of understanding that this was God's word. One of the men that I met with on campus who helped me grow in my faith, and he helped me understand something that has been so important to me through my life, in that I did not stop being Jewish when I came to believe in Jesus as my Messiah, is that I consider myself a completed Jew, one who has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm complete in my faith. And so I did not abandon my identity when I came to know know the Lord. But in a sense, what it did is it enhanced my identity. 
and so that happened. And uh, so the, when I made that decision was back in 1973, when I made that decision uh, to trust Jesus as my Messiah. How did you and your wife meet? How did you get involved on staff with crew? So as I mentioned, I came to know the Lord through crew at Penn State. And so Colleen, who was to become my wife, was a new staff member with crew, and she was assigned to Penn State. And just through some circumstances, we started to work with each other uh, in the ministry there at Penn State. I was the student leader for the ministry at Penn State. The dorm areas at Penn State were divided up among the, the, the crew staff members, and in my and in my dorm area, they didn't have another a person on staff with the crew, but there was Colleen, and they needed a guy. And so I was that guy as a student leader. And that's how we started to get to know each other, and our, our friendship grew from that point. Now, she's not Jewish. No, no, she's not. I consider her a completed Gentile. <laughs> she came to, uh, she uh, came to know the Lord through Youth for Christ when she was 16 years old. How did you start or end up working with crew? I was at Penn State for five years to complete my major. And as each year went by, one of the things that I was, I became really committed to was, you know, was helping fulfill the Great Commission, was helping people all over come to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a heart and a heart to continue to, uh, to reach students. And so I wrestled with what was it that God would want me to do? Was that to continue on in architecture? Was I to have a ministry of reaching people through the mar- marketplace ministry? Was I supposed to go to seminary? Was I supposed to go into a ministry that just exclusively reached Jewish people? But where my heart was, it was it was reaching students. And there was a, a grad student who said to me, said, Ellis, when you leave Penn State, what will you remember? And well, what I was going to remember was the incredible community of student believers who loved each other and were committed to reaching other students to Christ. And I, and it was just clear to me, that's what I wanted to do. And so uh, I'll never forget when I graduated and I was, uh, the architecture students were receiving their diplomas from the Dean of Arts and Architecture. And so when it was my turn to walk up and for him to shake my hand and give me the diploma, he asked me what I was gonna be doing. And I know it would make no sense to him at that time as, as he expected me to tell him that I was going to be working in some architectural firm. And what I told him that I was doing is, is that I was leaving. Uh, it's the next day that I was leaving to travel out to the location where our training would be, become a staff member with crew. So right out of school, I joined the staff of crew. Was that out of Colorado? Uh, this one was held at West Lafayette, Indiana. We were at Purdue University just using their facilities. What you're referring to in Colorado is where we'd had our national conference for our all of our U.S. staff members every other year and, and used that, that facility since 1974. Tell me something about Colleen. I know this will probably be hard for you to share since you are still very recent in your loss, but tell us a little bit about your partnership, your life together, Maybe even if you could talk about the birth of your one and only child. I'd be glad to. You know, people, Chuck, have asked me if it's hard for me to share these things. And it's not. In one sense, it's not hard for me to talk about it because there's some things that God has been doing in my life that I like to share with other people and about the things that I've learned about 
how a believer, someone who knows the Lord, how they go through suffering. There are moments that it's hard, but it's not difficult to talk about. When I met Colleen at Penn State, it was built on a friendship, but we were ministering together, reaching students together. And so there was a foundation in our relationship where we were both committed to reaching students for Christ. And so not only were the usual things that attract two people together, you know, similar values, we both grew up in in blue-collar families, and, and there were some similar values that we had, but there were two things that really tied us together. One was our relationship with Jesus, and then secondly, it was our commitment in reaching the lost, and at that time was reaching lost students. And so as Colleen and I continued to date, it just was very, very natural it was just a natural connection that we had because of, of being committed to you know the same things. Colleen was very much a, an incredible strategic thinker. She was incredible that way. One of the things that was just so interesting about her, there wasn't anything that she was not afraid to try, whether it was painting, whether it was sewing, whether it was making hook rugs. She would learn to do it, and then she always did it well. It's one of the things I remember when our daughter, Heather, was uh, at the age where clothes were real important to her. And, you know, and our income was limited. And so Colleen would, would make a number of her clothes, but she made clothes that fit in with the style. And so Heather was never embarrassed with it. And when Colleen made something, it looked like it was professionally done. Whatever she put her hand to, God had just seemed to, to gift her. And she wasn't afraid of learning. You know, you and I met about 26 years ago. This was shortly after we received that phone call that uh, is every parent's nightmare when our son Mark Mm -hmm. and his friend Kelly were killed on July the 6th, 1993. And we were wounded. Sharon and I were both wounded soldiers trying to drag each other off the battlefield. We gathered together looking for hope, looking for help, a group of people who were in similar situations, grieving the loss of a loved one. And we tried to start up this, well, we'll call it for lack of a better word, a a grief group. And that's when we met you. And you came to be a part of that grief group and told us that story of how you lost your daughter in a car accident. And I remember sitting there thinking, I have three children left. I have three survivors. This man has no survivors, no other children. And I remember thinking, how can I help you? What can I do to help you? And I, just as quickly as you came into our life, you were gone. And here we are now 26 years later. You have additional tragedy in your life, which we'll get to in a moment. Tell us about your daughter. Heather was 17 and a half years old, and this was in January of 1994. She was on her way to school, and I get a phone call early in the morning. This is after she went to school, and someone said that a friend of theirs had heard on a police scanner about a blue car that was involved in an accident. And the way they described it, it sounded like uh, our car, as Heather was driving that day. And uh, so I immediately 
called the school and they told me that she had missed her first two classes. And that's when I knew that something was wrong. So at that point, I ran to the garage, opened the door from our kitchen into the garage, hit the garage door button. And as the garage door went up, I saw a car, just saw the, you know, saw a car pulling into our driveway. And then as the garage door opened up, it was the state police. And as he came in, I think there was two of them. And he, uh, if I remember, he pulled out Heather's driver's license and had told us that she had been killed in a, uh, in a single car accident. It was less than two miles from our house. And it was on just a country road that was two lanes. It was a single car incident. Nothing else, no one else was involved. And that day, life changed in a way that I, I could never have imagined it. And of course, we were in a fog, in a sense, after that happened. You know, you asked the questions, you know, God, why did you do that? And I've asked that over the years. And what I've realized is, is that, and I think the question why is a, is a normal question uh, for a person to ask, but it doesn't mean that God is going to answer that question. And what I learned was from the Lord that while he was not going to answer why, he was, and he has asked me over, over the years, and I've continued to come back to this, will you trust me even though you don't understand? And it took some time to I came to the point and I said, yes, I will trust you even though I don't understand. It didn't take away the pain. And what was so difficult about Heather's death, and there's a number of things that were so difficult, she was her only child. We had one and other children. Colleen had had a couple of miscarriages after Heather was born. And Heather used to talk about that she would see her siblings in heaven. For Colleen, the loss didn't just create a hole in her heart, but it pulverized her heart. They were best friends. Heather was unusual in that she held back very little from Colleen. Every night, Heather would take her bath. Colleen would sit on the edge of the bathtub and they would talk, and Heather shared about everything. It was an unusual, we realized it was an unusual relationship. We did not have some of the struggles that some parents have had with teenagers, and we're grateful for that. And I think that what, what I am most grateful for is that when Heather was two and a half years old, and we were talking to her about the Lord, and it was at that time that she indicated that she had trusted Jesus as her Savior. And I know that at two and a half years old, you think about how could a child that young really understand? And you know, we had questions too, but as, as the years went by, Heather would always look back and know that that was when she had trusted Jesus as her Savior. And there began to be changes in her life, even as she was just very little. And so that was, Heather grew up to, to love the Lord, she would tell others about Jesus, and that was just normal for her. We were so fortunate that way that we had a child that had come to know the Lord. I, I realized that there are other parents who have lost their children who did not know the Lord. And I, uh, I just know how difficult it was and has been to have lost her, uh, even when we know that she was with the Lord. You know, one of the things that brought me some comfort many years later is when I came to realize that 
uh, after all the years that my daughter had been gone and had been with the Lord, that Heather knew, but knew more about Jesus now than I do because she has been with him. But Chuck has left a hole that was there, that was there, and that that affected Colin and me in, in such a huge way. Not having any other children, prospect of never having grandchildren, it was a, a pain that has, even after all these years, that part has never gone away. Mm-hmm. You know, that it was not just the loss of Heather, but it was a loss of, as every parent would have with the loss of a child, of that future that you had hoped for with your child. That, that brings me to a question. As Sharon and I were preparing for this interview, we recalled that when we first met you, fresh off the, uh, off the homegoing of, of your daughter, mm-hmm. you said something to the effect, uh, my family is Jewish, and so our relationship is strained because I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Heather was our only child, and God says he knows the plans he has for me, plans to prosper me, not to hurt me. How can that be true when he took my only child, my legacy? That's uh, 26 years ago. Mm-hmm. Here we are 26 years later. Are you still asking that question, or have you received enough encouragement from the Spirit of God to bridge the gap between where you were then and where you are now? I would say the answer is yes, as far as what has happened in the 26 years. I'll answer that, but I also want to say is that there are times that that pain of that loss, that while some aspects of it have changed, the pain is still significant at times. Each year, Chuck, as we would get Christmas letters from friends and in the beginning, the Christmas letter was just, you know, it just show, or the picture was one person. And then over time, they got married, it was two people. And then over time, it was children. And then over time, it was grandchildren. And uh, Christmas became one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult time of the year for me, of getting these letters and pictures from friends as a, just a reminder. To me, it was a reminder of what we had lost. And so to this day, there still is significant pain over the loss of of that future that we had or that we were hoping to have. But what's happened is this, is that since that time, you know, I really struggle with, you know, the uh, passage in scripture in Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good, for the good to those who who love the Lord. What people often do is they forget the verse that follows in verse 29. And that is the, that, that God's purpose is to conform us to the image of his son. And God never promised us that that would be a process without difficulty, without pain, as we would be shaped into the image of his son. Uh, the, it took me a number of years. Frankly, it took me seven years before I was able to come to the point that I, that I could say in my heart that I know that God loves me. I doubted his love for seven years. There's times when I prayed, Chuck, that I felt of why, why I should even continue this prayer? Is God even going to answer it? And I felt that way. But the, one of the things that I, I, a piece of advice I got from my pastor at that time was in expressing myself to the Lord. And he said, he said, he, he referring to God can take it. In other words, to be honest with the Lord. 
and it, you know, uh, and how I talk with them. And so I did that. And I, I came to a point, and I don't remember how long this was. Maybe it was a couple of years after Heather died. And I had such a hard time even singing hymns in church, you know, singing these hymns, which were about the Lord. And so I made a decision, and this really helped me along in my healing process. I decided that I would start singing the hymns again, even though that my heart was not in it, but as a profession of faith. And that over time, I found that I was able to do it once again. But it took time. People think that because we're believers, that we are exempt from some things in life. You know, as a Christian, we believe in the fall. We believe that sin enters the world. But as Christians, we think that God will protect me from those things. And yet God hasn't promised to protect us from those things. But what he has promised us is to have his presence and that we have eternal life. You know, so one of the things I've been so grateful for is that knowing that Heather is with the Lord, I truly can rejoice in that. I was not happy to have lost her, but I am able to rejoice that she is with him. And I know that she would not trade places at all. So it, it, took, it took some time. I think that sometimes, even the verse in Jeremiah 29, 31 says, I know the plans that I have for you to give you a future and to give you a hope. And Colleen didn't like that verse. Because, you know, where was our hope? Where was our future? And then I decided, it took me, it took me all these years, and it was, uh, it was a result of Colleen's death that I decided that I needed to take a closer look at that verse. And what I realized is, is that sometimes what other Christians may do is we take some verses in the Bible and we use them like Band-Aids. And so we quote them for people who have been you know, experiencing some type of, of tragedy or, or pain. And what I learned as I read that verse, that that was a promise that was made to Israel as far as what God would do for the nation. It was a national promise of what he would do. And that the national the people that that promise was made to, most of them would have died when that promise was going to be fulfilled, is when he was going to return the Israelites back to the land. And I just came to realize that the one thing that I can count on from the Lord is that his love and then his presence, that even though that I've experienced something which no parent wants to experience, is that I have absolute confidence that he loves me and cares for me, and that the Lord himself has experienced pain in the verse that tells us that he gave his only begotten son and that he gave Jesus up so that Jesus would die and, of course, be resurrected and come back is that God the Father, even though I think it's hard for us to comprehend, experienced a pain in a way that he understands. And so I know that God loves me so much and that he understands my pain, that he has walked with me, has never left me. He told me that he would never leave me nor forsake me. Even if I didn't feel it, is that he, he hasn't changed in any of his promises. I, I think the way that Colin and I describe this to each other Remember as a kid, you would look through those kaleidoscopes and you would turn them to get the colors and things to line up. And then I, 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 we thought of it this way, right after Heather's death, when we're looking through the, the kaleidoscope, God was just all fuzzy. It just, we couldn't make sense. It didn't come together. But over time, as we began to heal, 
And I know for me, as I began to just get a better understanding of the Lord, in a sense, the image in that kaleidoscope came back together. That God never changed, even though that my perception of what I felt had changed, but he had not. Edith Schaefer wrote in her book, Affliction, which I read many years ago, a book that I believe was written somewhere in the 70s. She said, sometimes those who are suffering are experiencing many questions and many doubts, trying to reconcile God's love with God's sovereignty, with the pain that they're going through. She said, it's like looking at a tapestry from the underneath side, where you see hundreds and hundreds of strands of different colors that make absolutely no sense. You can't figure it out because it's, it's the underside of the tapestry. It's only when your view changes, when you're in glory and you're able to look down at the tapestry that God has been painting all along, that you see this beautiful mosaic that he has been working. But from our perspective on the underside, we can't make sense of it. But from that angle, it's like, oh, I get it now. It all makes sense. God has been doing a beautiful work. And similar to what you're saying as far as the kaleidoscope is concerned, where all of it comes into view. Let me ask you this question. During the years that you were without Heather, you and your wife, in your marriage, did your marriage struggle? Did you struggle in terms of reconciling your own pain with her pain? That's a really good question. And, and the answer is yes. One of the things that I think a husband and wife can really struggle with the loss of a child is that each person, because you're married, does not mean that you are going to go through the suffering in the same way, that it will affect you in the same way. And Colin and I experience things differently. For me, one of the things that I did is I made a decision that I would continue to commit myself to my ministry. And even two weeks after Heather died, I was training a group of new missionaries, which was very, very difficult. And I'm not sure that I would give that advice to somebody to do what I did back then. I found that I needed to be able to verbalize what I was going through with someone. And I had a really close friend who's one of the leaders in our ministry. And no matter how busy he was, he would always be there for me if I needed to talk with him and process with, with him. Colleen internalized things, and so she didn't process a lot with, with other people. One of the things that was very difficult for her is that when somebody would say to her, you know, after a year had gone by or perhaps two years had gone by, and somebody's comment would be, well, you should be better now. You should be getting over this, and that just terrible comment that, that somebody could ever, you know, would say things like that, like this is something that it's like you got a, a cut on your finger and it heals up and it goes away and it will never affect you again. And so that kind of comment caused Colleen most to turn more inward in her grieving. And so that was difficult is that we grieved differently. Doesn't mean that we couldn't talk about it. One of the other things that happened, Chuck, that was really difficult and I had to make some adjustments to this is that Colleen was no longer able to celebrate Christmas or Thanksgiving because Heather wasn't there. And so we stopped celebrating those holidays. And so for the entire time from the start when Heather, Heather died all the way through to the time that Colleen died, 
we didn't celebrate those holidays. And for me, that was really difficult, but it was, it was something that I needed to, in a sense, be in agreement with her. Holidays are a time where you get together with others who have children. And every time she would be with, you know, with, with somebody else, you know, when she would get together with other mothers, what do other mothers talk about? They talk about their children. And that was, that was so painful and difficult for Colleen. So in the same way, when I would look at, at Christmas pictures to see the ever-expanding families, for Colleen it was, it was being with mothers and all they would want to do is to talk about their children. It was just too painful for Colleen. Mm-hmm. And so she withdrew from that. How did you reconcile that between you? I had to learn to accept it. As an example, one thing that took me a while to make an adjustment here and today I would have made, made a different decision than I did back then. So where we lived, the only road that would go, in a sense, in and out of the area where we lived, took us by the accident site where Heather died. And so we continued to live there for another seven years. And Colleen had wanted to leave where you know, we were living at that time in Orlando. And honestly, I didn't want to leave. I liked the ministry I was having. I did, in a sense, I liked my job and I didn't want to change that. And then finally one day, Chuck, I, was, I can still picture it today. I was standing in our kitchen and all of a sudden I understood I have to take Colleen out of here. I have no idea why it took me so long to finally realize that. I should have, I should have understood that so much sooner. And so we made the decision uh, to leave Orlando. And then I did my job remotely from that point on. Let's jump ahead. And really, we're not jumping ahead too far from where we are today. When did you find out that Colleen had ALS? What was your reaction? And what was her reaction when the diagnosis came in? It's real interesting. Our reactions were very different. When Colleen was diagnosed with ALS, Colleen was very much a planner. You know, my reaction was, I'm thinking about my loss of her. She's thinking, what do I need to do before the Lord takes me? And she was very much a planner and would think, you know, wanted to think through things as far as what she had to do. And I'm really grateful that she did that. She was working on a project for her family and for herself. It was, she had been researching her family history for decades. And so she pulled that all together before she, before the Lord took her. She was much more practical than I was, which I was really grateful that she had thought through those things. What happened was, is that at first Colleen was ambulatory. And then not long after she was diagnosed with ALS because she, you know, from the time of her diagnosis to the time where she, where the Lord took her was only 11 months. She lost her ability uh, to talk. And so we had to find a new way to communicate with each other. And the way that we did that was this, uh, they told us about this electronic board. It was not, not an iPad, but it was just, it was, it was like an electronic uh, place you could write notes on it. And she, she was still able uh, to write. We would learn to communicate that way. Then four months before the Lord took her is that she was no longer able to eat. And this is probably one of the hardest things for me to watch is that as, uh, as she slowly lost her ability 
to swallow. And uh, she would cut her food up into tiny bites so that she would be able to get it down. And then finally, and then she would, there's times that she just choked on it. And that was, that was, that was just so hard watching her suffer like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and knowing that I couldn't do anything at all to help her. The, it came a point where the doctor told Colleen that it might be best for her to have a feeding tube. And Colleen had decided that she did not want any extraordinary, uh, uh, anything extraordinary done to keep her alive, but she decided to go with the feeding tube. And so we had to develop some sort of a new routine in our home. That was something that we did together. As difficult as that was, where more and more I became her, her caregiver, I was grateful for that time. It was awful in a lot of ways, but I was grateful for those times. There was times, Chuck, where I just held her hand and just to be with her. And I was glad for those moments that God gave us. We weren't under the illusion that she was going to recover or get better. We knew that this would come to an end where he would take her. I don't think I was prepared for how quickly that came. Didn't expect that. The doctor had told us that she would have three. You may have may have three to five years, and of course, that's just an estimate that they give you. The doctor told us that men usually progress much more quickly than a woman does, and so this was a, a little bit unusual as far as how quickly it progressed for Colleen. Where you are today, you don't have Heather, you don't have Colleen physically with you, and spiritually, you're in a ministry that requires leaders to have a significant amount of spiritual strength. And your strength has been tested. Clearly, you are in the refiner's fire. And early on when you lost Heather, you questioned God's love. And did you question God's love when you lost Colleen? There were some things that were different this time. Before I answer a question, let me set it up this way. As Colleen was going through this suffering, I was asking, is there something I learned from the loss of Heather which will help me with what I'm going through with Colleen? And at that time, I said, no, I don't think so. But then when Colleen died, I realized that there were things that I had learned from the loss of, of, of our daughter that really helped me with Colleen. One of the things that was very, very different, even though that there was just just an awful, awful pain, was that I didn't doubt God's love for a moment. I didn't go through that struggle this time. I knew that, that God loved me. I never doubted that for a second. I had prayed for God to show his grace and mercy for Colleen. And when I prayed that, I stopped for a moment. I, I asked myself this question. I said, what does grace and mercy look like if that is going to be an answer to prayer? And I couldn't answer that. I didn't know what it would look like, but I prayed for it. And then when Colleen died, I knew that God had answered that prayer. That God, in his mercy, that he took her and spared her. There are people who have ALS that have suffered so much longer than Colleen did, that it's gone on years for them. And I realized that God, in his grace and mercy, he had spared her for that. 
Now, I, I don't know why God would choose to do that with Colleen and not somebody else who lingers much longer than Colleen did. But God was gracious in that he took her. About a couple weeks before Colleen died, she wrote a note to me and said, I wish I could push a button and Jesus would take me. And, uh, and I was grateful that he did that. I was grateful that she got to be reunited with Heather first. And so I have not had any qualms about the Lord taking her quickly and into showing his grace and mercy. I am grateful for that. And I know that Colleen would not want to trade places today. But at the same time, but at the same time, there are times where the loneliness has been overwhelming of being without her. Just the other day, I was at the grocery store. And going to the grocery store has been one of the hardest things for me. Number one, whenever we'd go to the grocery store as a couple, she would just tell me, go pick up these two things and I'll meet you in front of the, you know, front of the store. Now I have to make all those decisions and I hate every moment of it. But there was just something that, that I was looking at the grocery store just the other day that just triggered some thoughts about some things that Colin used to make. And all I could think of is I need to get out of the store as quickly as I can. And so I got out of the store, I went to my car and I just cried. And so there are times that, are, that continue to be like that. But what I can say is, is that they have been less and less. The, I mean, the pain of the, of the loss of Colleen and the loneliness, I mean, that's significant. And there's a part of that which will never, ever go away. But I think that when I went through the loss of Heather, there's a lot I did not know about what would happen in the grieving process. But as Colleen passed away, the Lord took her. There were some things I was more aware of, of what would happen. And it didn't diminish the pain, not by one bit, but I wasn't caught as surprised uh, as, uh, by surprise as, as I was with Heather. One other thing that God has done, which has just been incredible during the time after Colleen died and in the times where and you can never plan it, and you know that, that all of a sudden something triggers the grief and it's just so intense that it, it feels like it's just going to engulf you and overwhelm you. During those times when that would happen, I have watched over and over again God show up in ways that I had not expected. I even got to a point where I was going through, where I was experiencing just an overwhelming grief. And I said to the Lord, okay, how are you going to show up now? And sometimes it was like soon after, it was an email, it was a phone call. It was something I watched God do over and over again as I went through the suffering. Uh, one day early on after Colleen died, I was going through a particularly hard time. I was getting ready to, I was going to relocate. I was going to be moving. And so I went to the front door and there was a package out there. It was sent by a group of our staff, one of our staff teams. They had put together uh, a package of snacks for me to have as I drove to my new location when I moved. And, and I thought about this. They didn't know when they put that together that on the day that it arrived, was the day that I was going through just one of those overwhelming times and how God used it in my life to tell me that he cared and loved for me. Well, I got on the phone and I called one of the guys, one of the men on that team. 
just to tell him how God had used him. Mm. And so I have continued to see that. I've, I've watched God show up in just amazing ways in the midst uh, of, of the grief. Uh, one of the things that he has done is that I, I've got a, a group of friends who have uh, literally have just helped me through the grieving process. They have committed themselves to me. They have been available for whenever I have needed them, and they have just carried me through it. Going through the grief with Colleen has been different than the grief I went through with Heather. During that time, in a way, I felt more alone than I do now. Now, I've come to understand in a way that I have never understood in my life before. You know, as Christians, we talk about the importance of community, of having a group of people that you meet with, that you study the Bible with, that you pray with, that are there for you. And and since Colleen's death, I've experienced that in a way that I've never experienced it before. To the point where I say that the community that I have has been life-giving to me, that they have helped me through the grieving process. And it hasn't removed it, but it has helped me walk through it. One final question. I want you to envision that there is a man or a woman on the other side of the desk from where you are right now, who has been overtaken by and surprised by suffering, where they are wondering, what's next? Where, where do I turn? To whom do I turn? They, they, they need somebody to help them not to drown today. You have one piece of advice for them, what would it be? Not to isolate yourself. I think that there is a tendency that people have to isolate themselves but it is so important, I think, to have a small number of friends that you will uh, be honest with, friends that will listen to you, friends that will withhold judgment, that will just allow you to just be yourself and to express yourself. But I think that is so important. Some friends that will pray with you, people that will walk with you through it uh, and will continue to be there. I have one friend, he and I were, were, were good friends before Heather died. He was there every step of the way when Heather died. And when Colleen died, he has been there again and again and again for me. Always available, always willing to talk with me, always willing to listen. I think that's the kind of friends or friends that people need. I think one of the most harmful things that a person can do is to isolate themselves when they have lost someone. God did not design us to go through difficult things in life alone. And that is one thing that is, you know, learned about being a believer is that God created us to be in fellowship with other people. And we desperately need that. Ellis, I want to thank you for your willingness to step back into your own pain, to look back, so to speak, in order to offer help and hope to others who perhaps are coming behind you. That's what Mark Inc. Ministries exists to do. You've been listening to a podcast in our Help and Hope series. This one in particular, I believe, is so critical for you to listen to if you are experiencing heartache or loss, and then to turn around and share it with other people. Share it on those many social media sources that are out there, Facebook and all those other places, and get the word out. People need to hear Ellis' testimony 
of God's faithfulness to him, not only on the loss of his daughter, but on the loss of his wife. Uh, Here is a man who has been attacked, if you will, with a double loss, and yet he stands and remains faithful. You are a part of a team right now, Ellis, Marking Ministries, a part of a team where we exist for the purpose of trying to look behind us and other people who are coming behind us, people who are hurting, where we can offer a variety of resources on a variety of topics. Many resources are available at Mark Inc. Ministries. I'd like to encourage you to go to markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. There you will find many resources, free resources, that can help you with whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty you're experiencing, whatever pain you're experiencing. We're about to start a uh, brand new ministry uh, called Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling, where we will sit down with you by way of the internet, by way of a virtual platform that we've established, and you will meet with professional counselors, people who are biblically trained to offer help and hope in a very personal and practical way. That is something you can learn a lot about by visiting us at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. Ellis, again, I want to thank you for your willingness to rip off the scabs, so to speak. I know that Satan will do his part uh, to ensure that the right people don't hear this story, but our, our powerful spirit of the living Christ will ensure that your words, your words and his words will not return unto him void. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for your willingness to share. And Alice, may God richly bless you is our prayer.